Today, we're going to talk about how to help your organization become more resilient. Maintaining an environment where your employees feel confident to speak up, take risks, and adapt to change is critical in good times as much as during challenging ones. The key is to create a culture built on psychological safety and resilience. To find out how to do it, we've called in Anna Gelstrand, Chief People and Culture Officer at Mentimeter. Welcome to the Voices of HR podcast presented by HR Morning. I'm your host, Berta Aldrich, outperformance coach and author of Winning the Talent Show. Each week, I have candid conversations with HR practitioners, thought leaders, and C-suite executives to tease out what works and what doesn't in human resources, people strategy, corporate culture, and more. Anna Golstrand is the Chief People and Culture Officer at Mentimeter, the leading audience engagement platform, making the workplace more engaging, productive, and inclusive. She also wrote the book, Facilitate, which was named HR Book of the Year in Sweden. Anna, welcome to Voices of HR. Thank you. This is super exciting to be here. Well, we are so excited. Now, are you actually located in Sweden? Yes, I am. So I'm sitting here at our Stockholm uh, headquarter, uh, and also we have an office in Toronto, and we are opening up an office in Sydney this year. Wow! So you have a global, you have global offices <laughs> yes. that you're in charge of. Yes. I love it. Yes. Well, we are going to have such an incredible conversation today because there is so much in the press today about psychological safety. And I think there's a little bit of confusion on what exactly that is. And so you're mm-hmm. going to help bring clarity to it and how your company under your leadership um, actually executes on that. And you're going to give our audience some tangible takeaways um, that I know that they're going to love and want to implement in their organizations. So let's start here, though. You have this incredible story to tell about a time in your career when you actually took over for the CEO. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? Yes, of course. Uh, So this was uh, exactly one year ago, actually. And uh, at that point, I I had been working at Mentimeter for two years. So I entered this company at the VP People. uh, And at that time, we were 60 employees only in Sweden. And today we're 350. So we have been growing typically scale up uh, growth uh, story. And um, our CEO, Johnny, he uh, was going on parental leave. So he got his first kid uh, and he was preparing for for that. And uh, maybe you know or you you do not, but in Sweden, when uh, you get a kid, you actually get the opportunity to be away one and a half year from work. Uh, and you wow. get also like compensation from the, uh, from the state to do that. So it's very common that you spend a lot of time, quality time with, with your child. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he was also thinking about this and, and uh, he and his wife decided that they were going to split. So taking half a year each. And then I got the question if I wanted to be the interim CEO during this uh, period of time. Uh, and uh, I am a yes person. So I just said yes on the... <laughs> on the spot uh, but of course I also you know did some <laughs> uh, talked with my husband thought about what it does this actually mean and and so on but but I think that um, in general that ha- has been my mindset throughout my career that it's uh, when opportunities arise you should just uh, 
say yes and accept the challenge. Just say yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so we talk a lot on this podcast about opportunities for HR. I mean, mm-hmm. HR pros have so many talents and could be deployed mm-hmm. throughout the organization. And we, and sometimes we talk about ascending into the CEO position, but you are actually an example of someone who did it. So what were mm-hmm. some of your greatest successes during that time sitting in the big seat? Yeah. So I think uh, one thing that we in HR should be very proud of is that we have uh, like very broad business understanding because we work with all the departments and all the department heads uh, and also we are like in a way generalists and I think Mm -hmm. that that is what we have in common with the CEO uh, position so the CHRO and the CEO both have those things a very like it's a general competence in a way Mm -hmm. uh, because you need to understand so so much about the whole business um, and also that, um, uh, yeah, like a generalist role, basically. And also the other thing I would say is that usually CHROs are uh, great leaders because we are so passionate about leadership, mm-hmm. building culture and so on. We, I mean, we have been studying it for for years uh, and we are that's really our core passion. So, of course, or not always, but we are usually good leaders and role models within leadership, mm-hmm. uh, which is a su- super important as a CEO. So I think um, that that gave me a lot of confidence uh, going into this position. And I, I would say that my success was that I also saw, uh, saw that uh, and also saw my limitations. So basically, uh, I am a, a great team leader. So I focused a lot on building the uh, like an even more high performing management team but also mm-hmm. trusting that all uh, the other people in the management team, of course knew knew uh, <laughs> knew what they were doing in a way right um so, so that was uh, one thing uh, so not go into you know not go not feel that i need to know everything as a leader mm-hmm. which i know in theory i don't need to but that can also be hard uh, when it's like, like, do I really feel that I don't need to know? Like, yes, put the trust in the team. So I think that was my greatest success that I put a lot of trust in the team and focused on the communication and keeping the team together. And so was the, was the organization continuing to grow exponentially while you were sitting in that seat? Yes, for sure. Uh, so we uh, recruited 100 people last year, for example. So half of them was recruited during this uh, period of time. Wow. So did you have a foot in both camps? So were you still leading the HR function as well as sitting in the CEO suite? Uh, So I would say yes and no. Uh, I was very clear with like, uh, so what I did was that I I gave a lot of uh, extra responsibility to uh, my talent acquisition director and people director. Mm. So they also like uh, stepped up. And I was also very clear that like, I will not be able to be to be all this during this period of time. Mm-hmm. So uh, I would say actually that I was not very present <laughs> as our chief people and culture officer during this time. And that was a deliberate, uh, deliberate decision. Um, I think a big learning for us internally at Mentimeter has been to, to never, like people should never uh, carry more than one role. Uh, mm. It sounds smart on paper. Yes, I can take on this. I can take on this. You know, everyone is high achievers. But the, 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 yeah, the, the ripple effects are usually not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's better, mm-hmm. I would say, to let 
other people take on more responsibility and grow mm -hmm. instead of trying to make and uh, do everything yourself. I love that you keep using the word grow because these types mm -hmm. of opportunities seem to come around like once in a career. And if mm -hmm. you look at them for what they are, they are huge growth opportunities. So yeah. what's the one thing that you learned either about yourself or the company during this period of time in the, in the CEO set seat? I think uh, what I learned about like for myself was both that I'm still, you know, in a bit like in a way as insecure as I was when I was 20. <laughs> and with that, I mean that like, for example, what made me most nervous during this period was the board meetings. So I actually found myself not at all being in a, position of strength or confidence uh, when I was preparing a board meeting or speaking in front of the board as a CEO. And in that context, I had a lot of ghosts in my head. Um, mm. So in a way, I, I learned that like, uh, even <laughs> like 20 years into my career, there are still a lot of things that you need to work uh, on within yourself uh, to put yourself up for success. So that was a learning. Another learning was, on the other hand, that I'm capable of more than I think. So, so, mm. so you know, um, so that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, I also think what was interesting from more of a company perspective was that it is very good for a company to to use like interim positions, uh, mm -hmm. not only like in the management team, but also like throughout mm -hmm. the company. Uh, because there's, you get, you know, someone comes in and looks at things in a new way and adds new perspectives. And, um, so while, and while Johnny was away, he was also, of course, having his growth journey, mm -hmm. <laughs> being a father, and then thought a lot about like, what kind of CEO do I want to be when I come back? So mm -hmm. I think that, that that was um something we also have implemented more of at Mentimeter like interim positions people uh, trying out new roles during a, a a period of time and we have noticed that people grow tremendously mm -hmm. uh during those kind of uh, positions and they are super engaged and they get like a restart mm -hmm. uh, which is super cool. That is super cool and it also it takes so much courage to do what you did. Mm -hmm. And is it something that you would recommend your HR colleagues do? For sure. Uh, <laughs> with the add-on. There was a pause there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to do, I think I I did my homework. And, and what, what I meant, I, I had a conversation uh, with Johnny and I, I had a ramp up time of a few months where I actually very clearly like have my own like study mm. path for myself. So I was like really digging into like business strategies, listening to different podcasts. I got more into mm. how we do sales, how we do marketing, how we do product development. I was like, I really wanted to be on top uh, of all that. And um, so I, I, I had like a, yeah, I, I did my own school, so to say, uh, before uh, the assignment. Um, so, I mean, I think it's important to like put a lot of effort in. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically, because if you also, I mean, one thing is being a great leader, but it's very hard to lead, to have a 
fruitful conversation with our chief sales officer or our um, um, uh, CPO if I don't know anything about product mm-hmm. development or mm-hmm. uh, or how we operate like uh, within sales. So uh, so that got me very excited to learn to learn more about like our go to market strategy, how we do like. Um, uh, how we sell uh, to our users, how we sell to enterprise, uh, and all that. So I feel now that the relationships I built with with everyone else in the management team and the understanding I got, uh, the extra understanding I got about the business and what's really important and what is really like hindering success and what what people are. Uh, yeah, so yeah, I have a greater understanding now how actually people in culture support business success after this uh, um, interim position than I had before. Absolutely. So you had posted a deeply personal and transparent post on LinkedIn Mm -hmm. about stepping back into your HR role after the CEO and founder returned. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? Uh. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so you uh, you can just go into my LinkedIn and read the post. So yeah, but, but basically it was about that I uh, in February, like one and a half month or one month, I would say, um, um, when I was back in my my uh, chief people and culture position, I felt a lot of like negative emotions. Um, so I felt that like very lonely, like a big void. I was I started. I noticed that I was like irritated on Johnny, but for no reason. So that, that there was like a lot of things happening with, uh, within me. And then I really, really, actually, actually, I used the toolbox we have internally. So we work with a model called SCARF model, which is from the Neuroleadership Institute. So basically that model is about the needs I have as human being uh, to be, mm. uh, to use, to, to use um, basically my, my full capacity and ha- have access to my full brain. So, so that theory, I, for example, I used that theory to, to try to understand what was going on. And mm-hmm. then uh, when I did that, I realized like, oh my God, this change in position has triggered all my five basic needs as a human being, <laughs> which is uh, like status that like on the paper, I lost status. Uh, autonomy, I, I felt like, I could like when I when I was in the CEO position, I had full full autonomy over my own calendar, like mm. priorities, everything. Uh, and then when I went back to my position, I suddenly had the manager again. So I like lost mm. autonomy in a way. And then relatedness, I didn't feel uh, as part of the management team. Uh, I, I lost something there because the week weeks before I had a one-to-one with everyone every week and then suddenly I didn't have it so it was like I lost relations in a way mm. uh, and then yeah a bunch of other things so I used that uh, that model to try to understand what was happening inside me and of course I realized that like these are just emotional ghosts ghosts mm-hmm. uh, but I also wanted to to role model that this is going on inside everyone like uh every week every day uh we have like emotions that are hijacking our brain in a way and makes us not maybe uh, always act or uh, be super rational so i just and it's a it's a framework we work internally with 
So I just wanted to role model like, hey, you can use this framework to understand what's going on and make sure that you are not taking any <laughs> stupid actions <laughs> based on emotional ghosts. So yeah, so yeah, that was why I posted it. Because I suspect <laughs> that when you're in that vulnerable state, that you could actually self-sabotage maybe or start heading down the wrong path without, mm -hmm. and I love that you used your own model that you recommend internally, yes. the SCARF model. Yes. And you gave us a little bit of insight into what that was. So mm -hmm. during this period of time, did you feel that you had psychological safety? Because you talk about that a lot within yeah. your own organization and you have several initiatives and the way that your culture is built is all around psychological safety. Hmm. You displayed hmm. that yourself during this hmm. process. Yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, for sure. I mean, I would never been able to post that kind of, uh, of the, like <laughs> post at LinkedIn if I didn't feel safe. Feel safe mm -hmm. at Mentimeter, feel safe in the management team, feel safe with my relationship with my manager, uh, Johnny, and so on. So I think this is, in a way, the ultimate proof. proof. Uh, and of course, I also uh, had, like, I acknowledged some of these um, feelings in, in a, like, in a private one-to-one. -one. Uh, so it was not mm -hmm. new information completely coming right. out from social media. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. blindsided, uh, yeah. No, exactly. So I think that that is, um, but it's also actually one other aspect that's a bit related to, to what we do in people and culture and HR. And that is like how we actually do, uh, for example, employee branding or social media. We want uh, everyone at Mentimeter to feel empowered to tell almost whatever they want <laughs> in mm. different channels. Because we want to show, uh, like, transparency is very important for us. And we want to show that this is a company where you can be yourself, you can bring your full self to work. You, uh, We, of course, are failing. We're doing mistakes. Not everything is perfect, of course, because that's part of, mm -hmm. of, of a job. Uh, and also that there are as many opinions about how to do things as there mm -hmm. are people. and. Um, yeah, so so we actually encourage uh, everyone at Mentimeter to just like, for example, at LinkedIn, to be fully transparent. Like, I, mm. we did this, it failed. I have this feedback, like, you know, because we believe that that actually will attract the more the right people uh, to our company mm -hmm. than just putting up this facade that no one actually <laughs> believes in anyway. So can you give us some insight into the difference then between psychological safety and trust. Mm -hmm. Because I think it's one thing to tell your employees, okay, you have the safety, right? And we want yeah. you to live out our values. But the other is mm -hmm. trust, knowing that mm -hmm. it isn't going to come back to bite them later on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I see it as two different concepts. Um, mm -hmm. With psychological safety, I believe uh, we usually talk about at least two levels. One level is uh, the level where we work very deliberately at Mentimeter with creating an inclusive culture where everyone feels valued and welcomed, respected, where we like, you know, build a diverse team and so on. Uh, 
that safety for me is just the the beginner safety. Like, okay, mm. I feel welcome here. Uh, this these are friendly people. Uh, I can see myself here. And we actually, that is one of our core values to include everyone. It's also because it's very tied to our product. Our product is a lot about like creating inclusion and transparency and involving people in processes and so on. So uh, so that's the base. So uh, a lot of people feel very uh, welcome when they come to Mentimeter and during their first weeks. However, the real psychological safety, that counts after you actually, let's say, have had different opinions with someone or mm -hmm. when you have uh, are in a conflict about what to do or how to do it and you're actually like you know arguing or uh, yeah having a, a an important conversation that maybe gets a bit heated and then you manage to have that in a in a constructive way where you actually end up understanding each other better and taking a better decision because you got a you got the input from the whole mm -hmm. team or everyone um so I would say that the real psychological safety happens when you experience like, oh my God, we had this argument. Mm -hmm. I actually voiced a, contra a contradictory, contradictory opinion. Is that <laughs> correct? Uh, contrary uh, opinion. And I'm still here. <laughs> like, you know, uh, like, like people respect me for my competence and uh, mm -hmm. I feel still valued at this company. And mm -hmm. so, so, and I think, some people think that it's enough with the space layer. It's not. If you really want to have high-performing teams, you're not, you need to get through that phase where you actually, uh, it's called, uh, in the model we're using, it's called actually the conflict phase because there are conflicts mm -hmm. around what to do and how to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to go through that stage in a constructive way without interpersonal, interpersonal conflicts where mm -hmm. people start to like, you know, really get irritated on each other's behavior or personality trait or anything like that and when you have done that then you have a real real trust and a real safety in the team uh, and it's very interesting uh, interesting we work with a model that's called integrated model of group development which is developed by a professor called susan whelan and her she's been doing research uh, on this for more than 40 years within all industries and what she sees that when you become, uh, as uh, she says, a stage three or stage four team, which is uh, when you have the safety, then you can get a performance of 80% compared mm -hmm. to only 10 to 20 in the earlier stages. So imagine if you manage to get all your teams to that high performing level, mm -hmm. what impact that has on the business and the business output and everything. So, so this is um, this is um, something we work with in a very structured way at Mentimeter. Uh, so our um, people growth partners, which I would say probably most people call HR business partners, they work closely with their uh, the team leads in their departments uh, to help the teams to get to this more high performing stage and do facilitate workshops and do um, analysis of, uh, of the teams and what they are need uh, what they need. And so do you track, so this has different phases to it. So do you track where mm -hmm. each team is on their journey and what phase they're in? Yes. Okay. Yes. So each of your people managers or your HR mm -hmm. consultants um, know yeah. where they're consulting and exactly. how to lead them down the path. Okay. 
Yeah. Uh, it's important though that we view the uh, the HR team more as catalyzers of the conversations mm-hmm. and facilitators, but it's still the team lead that needs to own it, to, that needs of to, to lead the team in the phase they are in, and so on. So uh, for me, that's super important. So it never ends up being like let's let's ask HR to f- fix this. Uh, mm-hmm. We really want our leaders to to uh, to lead by example and and own own um, the performance part. Um, and there's so much conflict in organizations today that I suspect yeah. our HR pros are really going to uh, head to Google right now and look up Susan Whelan's mm-hmm. process. And can yes, you can you do. can you <laughs> share the name of that process again from Professor Susan Whelan? Yes, so it's called the Integrated Model of Group Development. So okay. it's the only model that's actually validated and verified in research that shows how a team is development uh, developing through different stages. Fantastic. Fantastic. We had um, Dr. Matt Pepsel on our podcast a mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago, and he talked about mm-hmm. how most organizations, only 35% of organizations actually align their corporate strategy to their talent mm-hmm. strategy. And you are mm-hmm. definitely one of the 35%. That stand yeah. out because clearly, <laughs> as I hear you talk, it's it's one of those things where you are living the values that yeah. are outcomes of your strategy within your organization, which is incredible mm-hmm. to hear and and to witness. So your company, so taking that one step further, your company culture mm-hmm. is extremely dedicated to building this sense of team so much that you work it into your budget. Can you tell mm-hmm. our audience a little bit about the quarterly budget and some other mm-hmm. outcomes of that? Mm-hmm. Of course. So I can just uh, go back a bit um, why this is so important to us. So basically, mm-hmm. I think it's super interesting in startups how the founders is really impacting both the culture and, of course, the product. Uh, mm-hmm. So when we work with a tech product or a, a SaaS uh, product as as mentimeter so for for us include everyone has been with us from the start and also having fun so those are two of our uh, core values and that has impact our culture and what we believe in so uh, and also it's it's the base of the product because so mentimeter is helping a lot of uh, organizations globally to basically build more efficient teams, to make sure that you have a transparent conversation around an important uh, topics, to make sure that you really grasp the intelligence of the group and get input from everyone before you take a decision and uh, like more engaging learning experiences and all that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, of course, we also then need to, you know, embody that in our own culture, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. also I would say it's just comes naturally for us because our product is about that so of course our own culture is about that so we believe a lot in the intelligence of the group um so uh so i think that so for for example uh we believe that the, uh, the power of together and that a team is stronger than the, the unit separately um mm-hmm. so like one plus one equals three um, so, and we also know that team, there's a lot of things going on in group development and group psychology, uh, that is hindering a team to become high performing, as you mentioned, like a lot of conflicts and so on. Uh, and we know also that like, for example, building deep relationships is very important. If you want to work with complex tasks and solve them, 
you need deeper relationship relationship than if you work with more superficial uh, tasks. And I would say working in this environment is complex. So then our relationships mm-hmm. needs to be deep. So that's the rationale behind uh, having a, a, a team building budget. So each team has uh, an amount of money that they should spend each quarter mm-hmm. uh, in team development. Uh, and then they decide together with their team uh, what they want to do. But usually it's a mix of discussing business business things. So what do we need mm-hmm. to discuss as a team? Maybe it's our strategy or ways of working or uh, our processes, like something that has to do or roles and responsibilities or something like that. It's a mix mm-hmm. of that, but also having fun uh, together and just be somewhere else. And, you know, so, I mean... I'm just amazed. I'm I'm just following the Slack channels and seeing what everyone is doing. So uh, it, it can be a, a, a big variation of, of things. Can you give us an example of maybe one of the activities or group activities that your teams have leveraged recently? Of course. Uh, I mean, I think one thing we learned is to always have a neutral facilitator that is facilitating conversations. Mm. So that is actually something that uh, we usually spend a bit of the budget on to have someone coming in externally and lead the process, which also is very good for the team lead or the the manager, because then they can instead participate in in the conversation instead of like leading the conversation. Mm. And it also equals out the power dynamics and and a a bunch of things. So so that is actually one thing we use uh, the budget for. But I mean, people have been going to, cooking classes they have been doing when you do pottery they have uh, i don't know <laughs> just having dinner at uh, some team members place um uh, yeah we went with uh, with one team to an island outside uh, kayaking you know there's yeah whatever you can imagine <laughs> wow i have a feeling you're going to have a lot of applications after yeah. <laughs> our listeners, yes, <laughs> after please. this goes live, <laughs> I love it. Now, you also have this incredible initiative. I don't know if you call it an initiative at your organization that helps your company become more resilient. Mm-hmm. And it involves people moving. Can you tell yes. our listeners about that program? Of course. So, for six years now and we've only been operating for eight years uh we once a month each year move our office to another city so uh and this is yeah so just take that in the entire (laughs) company moves to a different company yes so now uh, for example when we are uh around 300 here in stockholm uh Mm -hmm. we will move those 300 somewhere else uh, in the beginning of next year. And we have been to different cities. So we've been to or different countries. So Spain, uh, we have been to Italy. Uh, and people are very excited about where we're going uh, next. So last year we were in Austria, in Vienna. And the idea here is to, so I mean, what you mentioned, resilience. So if we look at resilience from a more holistic uh, perspective, what is that? So uh, we, it's a bunch of things. So one thing is to build, uh, as I talked about before, togetherness and relationships. 
because mm -hmm. we are more resilient if we feel, as we talked about earlier, safe in the group, but also mm -hmm. we feel that we got the support, we got each other's back in a way. And we know that we, if we're deepening relationships, uh, that will we will be more resilient. Uh, people uh, will cope better with stress uh, and they will dare to be more vulnerable uh, for the with their team or their manager if they are feeling stressed or like that that kind of like health mm -hmm. aspect of it then we also know that it's very res resilient to have an engaged <laughs> and motivated mm -hmm. uh, like engaged and motivated employees so uh this is also a time where we have a lot of fun together and it's very creative and innovative to be somewhere else uh, we're like disrupting ourselves uh, and doing things in a bit different way just because we are in a different place and we also know that happy people are like happiness and performance relate so if people are more happy and enjoying life and feeling grateful they will also perform better so of course there's a performance aspect of this also uh, and then i think the last part is the stress test of them of the business so uh, we think that if we manage to move our whole business somewhere else the only thing people uh, bring is their computer and they have wi-fi and if we can just continue to operate uh, mm. then we we have stress test our business because then we know that all our systems are in the cloud everyone has communication channels uh, no matter where they are uh, situated mm -hmm. and so on so uh, when um, covid hit Actually, it was not a big thing for us uh, because mm -hmm. we had been like, you know, hit by COVID before when everyone right. had to move to a different city. So uh, we just like, you know, OK, we'll have Zoom meetings instead. Uh, and then uh, everyone were still communicating a lot digitally. And we just continued mm -hmm. that. Of course, we had to learn a few things, but it was not very dramatic. And I think actually our relocation concept, as we call it, helped us uh, uh, with that. Um, so yeah, so that's the idea. And one important thing is that it's not a conference or an event. Actually, nothing mm -hmm. special happens during this month. It's business as usual. So I have the same meetings as I have normally, but I just have it somewhere else, and with everything that that goes with uh, with that in a new surrounding. Uh, and then it's optional, so people can join for one week okay. or two two weeks, four weeks, and usually that depends on life situation and a lot of things. Uh, but all in all, this is a very appreciated um, uh, thing that we're doing. And um, the reason we can do it is because we're also like, uh, like our financials are in a very good shape. So otherwise, <laughs> I mean, it's also a bit of a celebration that we have succeeded. Uh, in, yeah. yeah, because that would be my next question. I'm sure there's a lot of HR pros listening today that are saying, okay, this sounds fun. This is a way to <laughs> increase resilience of our organization, yeah. increase productivity, engagement, yeah. um, relationships. There's so much, so many benefits to this, but mm. there's also a cost. So mm. how, what's the ROI on this? Or if someone's going to consider doing something this big, yeah. mm. how did you ever sell it in the first place? And has yeah. it, <laughs> has the ROI shown itself? Yeah. So, I mean... We started with this when we were eight employees, so we never had to sell it to anyone. <laughs> and then we just, you know, continued. Uh, but of course, I mean, we're getting a lot of questions uh, like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, so first of all, uh, it's very 
expensive actually to do events. Like if you want to do any kind of event with your company, it is expensive. If you want to take everyone, um, you know, like fully designed for three days with two nights, uh, you use an event agency, whatever, like mm -hmm. that is expensive. So we actually, because we have this size of this project and we're also going in um, um, when hotels are not com like completely booked, like January or February uh, in Europe, we can actually get a, a, a like a, do this as a quite low cost per employee. Mm. Uh, so, so as we see it, we just take a lot of other type of money that you otherwise do, like some learning and development money and some, you know, whatever event that other corporations have <laughs> money and put it just in one box instead that, that mm. gives a lot. Um, so I would say that we get a very good deal uh, to be the whole company at one uh, place for 30 months, uh, 30 mm. days. So that's one thing. The ROI, it's uh, connected to all of the things we already talked about, like the mm. engagement. Uh, we have very uh, low turnover at Mentimeter. So people stay mm. uh, many, many years uh, and uh, we have low sick rates. Uh, like there's a bunch of things we can see. It, of course, mm -hmm. it's not only because of this. It's because of everything we do uh, within right. people and culture. But this is um, has a significant impact. Wow. I think you've just inspired <laughs> a whole also. bunch of HR. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> yeah, no, employer branding. Actually, that's not the, at all on our list on, on why we're doing it. But mm. of course, I mean, uh, um, we like people get super curious and it's driving a lot of uh, oh, recruitment. Um, yeah. Oh, I suspect you're going to see a lot more <laughs> after this podcast goes live. Okay. So we unfortunately are coming to the end um, of our podcast. And one of the activities that we do at the end that is a crowd favorite is something called rapid fire mm -hmm. questions. So these are one sentence questions Ooh. with one sentence answers so that our audience gets to know you better. Are you willing to play? Uh, yes. Was this in the pre-read now? They're easy. They're easy. All right. Question number one, what's the biggest challenge you're facing as an HR leader today? Yes. So I believe that the like VUCA world, like that everything is quite unsteady all in all mm -hmm. in the world today mm -hmm. is the biggest challenge for me as an HR leader. Mm -hmm. What are bad recommendations you hear HR being passed off as best practices? Saying to lead, like having this leadership mantra, don't give me problems, don't give me solutions. I think it's the opposite. What's your first 90-day playbook as a new head of HR? What would you recommend they focus on their first 90 days in the job? Understand the business. Understand current people and culture activities and how they correlate to the business. And then just be out there, talk to people, listen to people, and ask them about their needs. When you get overwhelmed, how do you refocus? I do something completely different. Go to a yoga class or drink wine. 
or drink wine. If you could have your own billboard that would reach millions of people, what would your message be? Say yes. What advice would you give to someone just starting out in HR? To learn a lot about how our brain works and human psychology and behavior uh, instead of focusing too much on like laws and admin. And I guess that leads me to my last question. What's the main takeaway that you would like our audience to know today? Invest in creating real psychological safety and use methods that are validated by research. Today, we have been joined by Anna Gelstrand, Chief People and Culture Officer at Mentimeter. Thank you again so much for joining me, Anna. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Likewise. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you haven't already left a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. If you have any feedback or questions about the show, drop them in the comments wherever you listen or email podcast at hrmorning.com. To find me, go to BertaAldrich.com or send me a message on LinkedIn. We'll be back next week with more Voices of HR.